everything I do is driven by survival and that's a double-edged sword. It's a good thing because it helps me just crack on because my life has never been easy apart from that three-year window that I told you that everything was okay. It's been very difficult. I don't mind saying that there's been many times I just wish I wasn't here. Oh, hey, girlfriend. How are you doing? I hope you've had a good week so far. You are listening to the Curl Squad's Curl Power podcast with me, Zoe Fox. Were you able to check out my last episode, which was all about the time that I went to rehab, spinal cord injury rehab? I hope you enjoyed it. And actually, did you realise that this month is Disability Pride Month? Hey, did you know that? Well, if you didn't, then you do now. So happy Disabled Pride Month to you. So now I know that the analytics don't lie, right? And they do tell me that you guys like the shorter episodes and those are the episodes that are most consumed. But there really is value in long form conversation and storytelling, I think. Like I used to love nothing more than back in the day, like my go-to podcasts were Joe Rogan. So I'd love a good Joe Rogan episode that was like a good two, three hours, especially like the Graham Hancock ones where you just get lost in this whole like TARDIS of conversation and um, exploring all these different subjects and stuff and I'd also really enjoy listening to London Real that was another one of my favorite pods back in the day and um, I'd pop on a podcast on a drive say driving from London to Birmingham and I'd always just feel so much more enriched after it like spending that time to just zone into a good pod always leaves me feeling like I'm a better person (laughs) at the end of it Or if I'm not a better person, then it makes me want to take those next steps to be a better person. So that's what I enjoy about the long form conversation. And yeah, to be honest, like especially with the long Joe Rogan ones, I didn't always do it in one one big swoop. But I would often go back and like just catch up with bits when I'm doing the washing up or when I'm in the bath or whatever. But that is the beauty of podcasting for me is just to be able to get lost in the conversations and... It's just for when your soul needs a little bit, needs something a little bit more than just the mindless scrolling of like Instagram. And I love Instagram, don't get me wrong, but yeah, it does make me feel like a little bit of a goldfish, just like swipe onto the next, onto the next. So, anyway, this episode is one that I recorded before I went into hospital. And then, yeah, the hospital announcement threw everything off plan and um, it's been it's been on hold for a minute. So I'm very excited to finally be getting this one out. It is my longest episode yet. So and my guest today has recently pulled off a stunning photo shoot um, using all black vendors for the Curly Bride Company. She has recently also been selected to fulfill a VIP order for Georgia Smith. I think it was for Georgia Smith's press packs. So yeah, how cool is that? And she has been through a lot, but she's achieved a lot. And I know if she was my mum, I'd be super proud. Today, I am going to be speaking to serial entrepreneur, Sasha Atherton, CEO of The Happy Hair Company. And Sasha runs The Happy Hair Company with her 10-year-old daughter, Jaya. So The Happy Hair Company as a brand provide affordable luxury protective hair care for Afro, curly, natural hair. And she has got a customer base that spans the globe And you know what? It doesn't surprise me because those bonnets, they do not come off. And I'm a customer, a legit customer 
and yeah, I can confirm these bonnets stay put. My mum's got one too. Sasha and Jaya also use their platform on Instagram to tackle some really challenging subjects that need to be discussed, but people often feel uncomfortable confronting some of the conversations. So I've always got mad respect for her putting her head up above the parapet and just saying what needs to be said. One of their best-selling products is actually the innovative anti-frizz bamboo TLC towel. As a self-taught hair care specialist, Sasha is in the know about all things curly hair. And she doesn't just care about the curl, she cares about health as well. So she has a very mindful approach when it comes down to ingredients and things like that. So after going live with the company, it had such great interest. Sasha has also branched out to do things like salon treatments and education right across the country. Her brand portfolio also includes the Curly Bride Company, which is a high-end bridal accessory store. And I wish I had that when I got married. Perhaps I wouldn't straighten my hair, because let me tell you, when I was Googling at the time I got married, there was not much on curly hair at all. And people who were marketing themselves as being as doing curly wedding hair it was just crazy so if i could have got myself a nice little curly hair accessory i probably could have just made it look pretty good myself she's also got jamaica candles which are jamaican scented non-toxic candles and they smell so good again customer like well my mom's a customer of the candles and i was ready to steal the picnic powder candle when i went to my mom's they smell amazing and this is the thing, I've never actually met Sasha. I don't I don't know her. This isn't me just bigging up a friend's business. Like, I met her through her brand on Instagram and have been a fan of her products ever since. And just a fan of her. And I can really see that she's motivated by motherhood. You know, she does what she does for her daughter. And as a mother, I really feel that and I really respect that. She's also got a brand called Diaz and Jay. And those are products that encourage self-care and wellness for men. So come on, man them. Scented candles aren't just for us women. Like, you guys need to look after your peace too. Put on a candle, take a little chill pill. Now, Sasha's life hasn't been easy. And she entered the world of work at just 16, whilst also homeless and living in hostels. So to go on to be a serial entrepreneur is quite an achievement. Her entrepreneurial journey began in 2016. She was actually a product manager in the tech industry at that time. And she moved on from there to launch her own recruitment consultancy, which is all around parental employment and flexible working. And that come about off the back of her own barriers and experiences as a single black mother. And I think many of us moms can relate. So in this episode, we discussed how having her daughter made her reconsider her own hair journey. We spoke about the detrimental impact on her self-worth of being rejected by her parents, making the decision to go it alone as a parent, realising who she thought was her dad wasn't her dad and discovering who her actual dad was, and the curly bride, a black love story centering black love and talent in a wedding industry that lacks representation and what it's like to build a brand as a black British woman who's come from struggle. Let's get into it. Hey, hey, Sasha. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much. Are you ready to jump straight into a quick fire round? Let's go. Let's do it. Okay. Well, from the queen of satin bonnets. (laughs) Satin bonnet. (laughs) Or satin pillowcase. (laughs) 
This is not a straightforward answer, but I guess bonnets. <laughs> hair up or hair down? This is not as easy as it seems. Um, down. Wash and go or twist out? Wash and go for me, personally. Edges natural or edges laid? Natural, because I've never, I don't even think I've ever done my edges, maybe twice in my whole life, so. <laughs> natural. Wash day, a chore or a vibe? Vibe, definitely. Volume or definition? Volume now, but it used to be definition. Uh-huh. Um, day one hair or day three hair? Three. <laughs> diffuse or air dry? Air dry. Can't even diffuse properly. <laughs> the technique is too long. I can't. I can't do it. Um, have you got any certified go-to products or accessories? Obviously, accessories. I'm going to say my own because they genuinely are. Um, but in terms of like the bonnets and pillowcases, for example, as it starts to get warmer, like now, I don't tend to like sleeping with stuff on my head. So the pillowcases become the go-to then. Um, headbands like this that just help me get my hair out of my face because I do try to have it down as much as possible to stop the pulling and the breakage and stuff. Um, in terms of brands that I really love, quite a few, but I really like Sultanicals, um, Almacado, Black Owned and Natural, which is what I love. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. And what about growing up? Did you have anyone that inspired you, like any curl icons or curl inspo? No, you know what? I think in terms of hair inspiration when we were younger, we did have some. I feel like our age, you know, 90s, we did have some like Mel B and Fiona from like Coronation Street and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we did very subtly. And actually, I don't think we realised how important it was. Um, it still wasn't enough either for it to be significant enough for us to then embrace our own hair, if that makes sense. So, yes. um, no, in terms of that, I didn't see anybody and feel like they're my hair inspo because I didn't want the curly hair. <laughs> Right, I just wanted the straight hair. Um, in terms of general inspiration, I get asked that question so much. And actually, it's, it sounds weird, but nobody's really inspired me in terms of like celebrity and stuff because I found it very difficult to find someone that I can resonate with on all levels um, that's come from struggle that's British, that's Black yeah. British. I feel like that, that disconnect has kind of prevented me from latching on to you know that person that's the inspo there's definitely people that I absolutely rate and that bits of their journey or achievements have inspired me but in terms of somebody that's inspired me no and I feel like I did like that growing up actually I think that you know that was a big factor for me is that I lacked a role model whether that be a personal one or in the public eye so I think it was an interesting point that you made about there being people out there that were providing some degree of representation. But I think that's a really important point that like, despite that, despite the odd one or two that might've been out there, it's like the beauty standard as a whole, isn't it? So even if you're looking out and seeing someone that looks like you, it doesn't mean that you're thinking that that is like, you know, that is what beauty is or anything. No, and I think it just was, it wasn't strong enough to, um counter 
the narrative and the beauty standards, the few that we saw weren't strong enough. There weren't enough of them and it wasn't intentional enough mm-hmm. um, for it for us to pay attention as young girls and be like, oh, actually, why am I so hung up on straightening my hair when Mel B's got her hair curly or whatever? But actually, sometimes she did straighten her hair too. Mm-hmm. So I think it was just that whole, yeah, as you say, it's not, it's not the fact that we didn't have any at all because we, we had a small amount us curlies had a small amount afro ones were probably less common but yeah it just wasn't a strong enough counter for mm. the lack of representation for us then so what was your relationship like on a practical sense when with your hair when you were younger who was the main person that was looking after it and what did you used to do with it so this is where it's like a simple question and I have to get deep because my childhood <laughs> wasn't simple okay so um so from I'll, I'll speak about before 16 because from 16 I became homeless and was in um hostels and stuff so then it was just pure independence mm-hmm. um but from a young age I spent a lot of time on uh with who I thought were my grandparents were and they were Jamaican so that had a, a large influence um and I saw a lot of relaxed hair with some curly perms with maybe a small amount of natural hair um whereas a lot of us use similar products anyway for the for all of it <laughs> so it's just like the blue magic would still get slapped on whether it was relaxed or whatever um so i think in terms of um that aspect of my hair and the products that were there um that's where i was introduced to a lot of that because my mom is mixed race but she's asian and white so she's got straight hair um so obviously my products were different to hers um my products when I was like so like early teens before I left home wasn't soft and free and gold and all of those (laughs) all of those hair oils and um primary school was like look like 12 plaits or sectioned with a square party (laughs) it's like and I actually had a lot of black and mixed race people in my primary school um when I moved to Nottingham so I'm from Sheffield originally but we moved to Nottingham when I was eight so it was and Nottingham is very diverse and you've got certain areas that's just pure black people which I absolutely loved growing up right um so our primary school yeah was probably majority black actually if I think about it now so at a lot of us had had yeah our braids and our twists and like 20 different color bubbles <laughs> in our hair and all that kind of like, it was a whole vibe like it was you know um it was a really good experience in that regard um but yeah in terms of like the early days i guess the protective styles weren't termed as such when I was younger. It was just like, if I saw, you know, another girl at school that had a few twists or braids, I'd probably go home and say, I want the same style or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they, that's kind of like the product angle of, you know, when I was younger, um, the kind of products that I use. I suppose because of when I was younger, like when you're younger and you, your hair, well, my hair was a bit more, European and softer obviously I was I was younger it was easier for the products to work on my hair then if that makes sense mm-hmm. um my hair wasn't it was thick but not super dense and, and the, the curls were normal curl pattern I guess in terms of tighter than they are now but not super coarse or thick 
Um, so I guess what's deemed manageable and not difficult, I suppose, is what um, how it was uh, perceived. A lot of school photographs with that the hair halo. <laughs> that my daughter now has but yeah you know that that hey hey was just a part of the school photos and school life i don't think we ever came from school did we with our hair looking the same um <laughs> hopefully i've answered the question but yeah so that's yeah. kind of the, you know the journey there and then of course when i left home you know when i was in the hostels and stuff um i couldn't afford anything right so I'm trying to think even when and where I got my hair products. I did because I did my hair, but it would be legit go to Wilco's and get their cheap 39p gel, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because it was literally budget, 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 because I think I was getting EMA for a period of time there um, for about six months before I started work. So I started work when I was 16. So I had no money to buy hair products, right? So, yeah, it was 39p gels from Wilco's, um, slick, <laughs> the slick across the face, all of that kind of vibe. Um, and then more towards later teens is when I started straightening. And that was, and the reason it took so long actually for me to start straightening it is because the straighteners were rubbish until like, <laughs> until, yeah, exactly. So, like, the, I tried to straighten it a few times when I was younger, but it was the babilis with the steam. And obviously that was not straightening anything. It was making it curly or, or it was making it something. It wasn't straight. Um, <laughs> some kind of like, yeah, like it's straight. It's pulled it. It's pulled the curl cutting out, but it's just like bosh, basically. <laughs> um, yeah. So then I'd say around, yeah, like mid-teens, late-teens is when we started to get those ceramics that we thought were so lit because they actually worked because they were so strong, right? And the GHDs and all of that stuff. And that's when I just lived with straight hair and I wouldn't go anywhere if my hair wasn't straight. So, yeah, that was that was the start of the straightening, really. And then how long did that go on for and what took you back to your curls? Forever. So that was so... Um, late so no six seventeen eighteen full on straightening because the straighteners were there then till after I had jail so um jail is 10 now I'd say I, I didn't stop straightening I slowed down on the straightening when she was about two because she came back from nursery and she wanted the same straight yellow hair as people at nursery and I was just like yeah, this yeah, this can't run at all. Yeah. Um, and I also can't be preaching to her <laughs> when she's looking at me with my straight hair either. So at that point, and it was purely because of that, not because I wanted to embrace my natural hair, nothing to do with that. It was purely that, okay, I, mean, I need to give her some representation. I need to be an example. I bought a load of books. I stopped straightening my hair as much. Um, and that was why slowly I stopped straightening it. But of course it was mashup because <laughs> I've been straightening it for like years and years and years and it was completely damaged. Um, I also dyed it blonde every summer, right? So it was destroyed. So I say I wore it curly. Clearly it was not curls. <laughs> it was like string, like straw. But yeah, I start, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I stopped straightening it as much. And then... Um, 
And I mean, like, I think about, so I used to sing and I used to perform at raves, right? And it was sweatbox nearly all the time. I don't know how, I just don't even know how I didn't get fed up with having to straighten it. And then the kill was popping out around the edges anyway. Like, and The minute it, you step into the club, just yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. like, you couldn't even really have it out like that. Or you might have tried. I did try. And then it ended up being slipped back and having to wrap it around in some kind of bomb because it looked ridiculous. And I had to go on stage, <laughs> right? So, um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was that journey. But literally, I would not, like, I cancelled nights out if, if I'd washed my hair and hadn't had time to straighten it or... It was very much, I could not stand my curly hair. Um, and I remember I went to, um, it was it was Napa, I think. I was in Aya Napa. And my hair got wet. And it was just like, on the beach, everyone was like, oh my God. I was just like, yeah. <laughs> just looking, at things, looking back at pictures of myself, like, oh my God, I can't stand it. And everybody was just like, whoa. And surprisingly, because it was more resilient then, because obviously I was younger, the, t- the curls were quite tight then. That was like, I was 21 then. Yeah, yeah. so, um, but yeah, I wasn't feeling it at all. <laughs> so I've, it's been a real journey in terms of like going from despising them to, God, I better do this for my daughter, to, wow, it's actually so much better. <laughs> yeah. Like having to straighten it. So, yeah. <laughs> That's what happened. Mm, a long very long process um and the true time of when I truly started embracing natural hair and began that journey was when I launched happy hair and that was 2018 and again not intentional really it was more doing it to learn to inform the product development so it was you know it was really just so the towel when I was designing the towel I needed to test it. I couldn't really afford to be paying people to test it or we didn't have a presence there to be going asking influencers or whatever. In fact, influencers weren't even a thing then, but bloggers were. Um, so I was like, right, well, I might as well just use the stuff on mine and Jay's hair to see what works. Um, so that's kind of where I then started to really dig in and start researching and following a few bloggers and they started talking about towels, like stop using towels. Like, hmm? So then I started to research it. And that is when kind of by accident my true healthy hair natural hair journey started um and then when I started to discover so much more about certain ingredients and the reason my hair seemed like it would just frizz because I thought it would just frizz because of all of because of all I'd done to it and that wasn't it at all yes of course there was damage but just even a towel aspect of it you know just rubbing my head with this rough towel and never dawned on me that that would be causing a load of the frizz right um, so yes, that's when my full proper natural hair journey started, like 2018, um, and that's when I started going periods of time about straightening, which is wild to me. When I think, you know, at the time I was just like, I'm never going to be able to do this. There's no way. <laughs> There's no way. I had to, I, I had to get rid of the straighteners because I knew, <laughs> like, yeah. if the straight, I'm going to straighten my hair. So yeah, from since then, I'm not owned a pair of straighteners. Threw them in the bin. <laughs> So it was more it was like simultaneous then you start in the business and come in to love your hair I in my head I don't know I sort of thought it would have been like you came to a point of loving your hair before you got to the point of starting the business everybody just thinks that and I think it's because of 
um, how much I do now or how much I have done since launching the business is that yeah. that's all you guys have ever seen of me, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, not just mine, but what I'm like with jail. So, but I think even my, I'm so full on with it with jail because of what I've said to you about the nursery. I think that it came from that. So actually the driving force that's really been what I really cared about was her making sure she was okay with her hair, as opposed to you guys thinking it's me that came to a point of embracing my natural hair, Jenny, if you get what I mean. Um, yeah. and you know, it's so crazy because <clears throat> I straightened Jay's hair twice when she was younger. And I, honestly, I'm doing a post about this soon, but I had absolutely no right to straighten that child's hair, you know, and, and it's just so common and I'm never one to... Um, judge anybody's parenting or anyone's decisions because and actually a lot of the time it's just due to either ignorance or lack of knowledge as to why we do these things but she asked for it and I was like okay for your birthday so I've created this whole old special occasion you can straighten your hair for a special occasion like I think about it now and I'm just like oh god <laughs> like but yeah you know just thinking about it now I had absolutely no right to do that you know that could have damaged and changed her curl pattern forever and we will not know now whether that had an impact on her hair or not right mm. um but yeah it's just, just that those kind of experiences which has kind of led on to me being as I am so especially when it comes to like healthy like like you know I'm very big on ingredients and it's not just about natural hair journey it's about what we're using um so it absolutely was not me <laughs> thinking yes I've got to this point I've got to natural hair no that's not what happened and uh, that was kind of a byproduct of yeah launching this business literally um but honestly if Jaya never came back that day from nursery I probably would never even be here and have embraced it even now I don't know because I was full-on team straight <laughs> yeah I was now that's really powerful like what the love of your daughter and her self-image can motivate you to do before, there's so much that you've already touched on that I'd like to just <laughs> reach into a little bit if you can. <laughs> so you mentioned that you were homeless and living in hostels. I can't imagine that that would have been an easy time for you. No. Yeah. No. So were you working at the time or? So basically how it, and just to let you know, I'm completely okay with talking about this. So ask away. Yeah. Um, yeah. I speak about it quite often now. Um. So basically it was, when I was about 13, I've always had a turbulent relationship with my mum. And um, it was me and my brothers that lived with her at that time. So she first kicked me out when I was about 13. But at that point, and you're going to ask me about this later, the person that I thought was my dad at that point is where I went. Um, I was supposed to stay with him but I ended up with my grand, who I thought my grandparents, who I referenced a bit earlier. Um, and then finally, because he was supposed to be buying a place for me to move with him. Um, but he had a girlfriend and she had a daughter and they were the priority at that point. And then they finally, he finally bought a house um, and I got this box room. So the young girl, I think she was about, so I was about 13 and she was about six maybe. And my memory is so sketchy with the detail of this stuff because I literally have suppressed it. Like I was speaking about this the other day. I, I suffer from memory, like retention and stuff because I've suppressed so much stuff through trauma. Sometimes I don't even know whether memories are real or not, right? You know, like you get a bit of a flashback and you're like, 
I don't know if that actually happened. But anyway, I digress. So anyway, that is, um, yeah, so I had this box room. Um, so they moved me into this box room. And when I say box room, I li- it's not a box room. It was like a strip. I'm guessing it was for, I don't even know what the laundry room may be. I don't know. It was upstairs, but you walk in and there's just a strip. There's no like square space. It was a, tight, a really tiny room. So I had a blow up bed in that bedroom. That was my bedroom. And it was just awful, right? Um, and then no freedom. So I couldn't go out, straight home from school, straight back. This was in Sheffield, by the way. Sorry, I didn't mention that. So I'd been kicked out and sent to Sheffield. And then that didn't last very long, basically. Um, there was turbulence between me and his girlfriend. And when it came to the crunch, like her word was just more important than mine. So ironically, my mum came to get me in the end um, and took me back home. Um, but then for the next year or two, it was just more of the same. So as I was taking, uh, well, just before I started taking my GCSEs, she kicked me out. But obviously the first option wasn't there anymore. So um, one of my school friends, um, her auntie or something like that worked at a hostel for um, minorities. <laughs> I have to do the quotation of minorities because you know how I feel about these words. But um, yeah, basically worked at a hostel specifically for um, children like me, I guess. So they put me in there. So that was the start of the, the hostel journey. That was only up until a certain age, though. You know, one of those where it's kind of like you can only be there till you're, whatever, 17 or 18. Um, so whilst I was taking my GCSEs, I was living there. But there was always drama. And, like, you watch Tracy Beaker, and even though it's not exactly the same, it's similar in some regard. Like, there's always drama, because we're still talking about, whether we're in a hostel or not, you're still talking about, you know, teenagers and people with drama over men and boys, should I say. And all that kind of stuff was happening <laughs> in this building where there's about like 30 of us, right? Um, yeah, so then I took my GCSEs, did surprisingly well in the GCSEs on most of my subjects. And then um, it was time for me to leave there. But obviously I didn't have anywhere to go. The council weren't giving me anything. The housing associations weren't giving me anything. So I had to go to a company called Framework but they put me in supported housing and that is for drug addicts, alcoholics, like active drug addicts so um, I had to go it was a house share which I shared with some a couple of people that were drug addicts so that was like the the space that I was in and, and whilst there was some freedom because obviously I'd come out of the hostile environment it was madness because the people would steal my stuff and there'd be madness happening in the crazy times of the morning, you know, because they needed to go and get some drug or whatever. It was pure madness. Normalised for me because I spent a lot of time in the hood in knots and stuff. So it was kind of normalised, but still like wild when you really think about it. Um, yeah, so that was the, like that. I spent... Um, it might have been two years. Again, my, my memory is sh- uh, sketchy. Might have been a couple of years that I spent there. Um, and then I got a council flat, <laughs> which felt like a mansion. Like, it felt like, oh my gosh, it was not a mansion. But <laughs> yeah, so then when I was about 20, 
um, yeah, when I was about 20, then I got the council flat. So I was there for, until I bought my house. I started working at experience. So that like early 20s, once 20 came, yeah, early 20s, yeah, life was good in, in many respects because my council rent was really cheap. I worked um, a decent job for my age and for my outgoings at that point. Um, I, then I started singing at 21. So I was getting paid for performances all over the country weekend. So that's the, the only time really in my life money was no problem so that that aspect of my life early 20s to 20 to 23 ish was nice there was no you know it was kind of coming from that mad turbulent time from early teens to then so 10 years say really um and that that three-year window was good and then more drama after (laughs) and then all different challenges after so that has kind of been yeah, the kind of the theme, which has influenced every aspect of me as a girl, as a woman, as a mom, you know, you know yourself how much things as a young girl, teenage, early 20s, all different ages have that lasting impact on you and, you know, who you are going forward. So, yeah, that's kind of how it works with that. And you mentioned about your dad and then discovering that he wasn't actually your dad. Yeah. How old were you at that stage? So that was when, so Jay was born in 2011. 2012 is when I found out. Um, And at that time, so I've been a single mum since Jaya was about 10 months old. Mm -hmm. Um, Very toxic relationship with her dad um very traumatic pregnancy as a result of that and then um at 10 months when she got to about 10 months I was like yeah I'm done I I kind of I lost myself through that um she's got to have a family unit she's got to have a family unit she cannot be like me that whole thing just consumed the whole thing right that mentality consumed the whole thing like regardless of what he did regardless of what I ended up doing, all of that stuff boiled down to she's got to have a family unit, which meant I kind of lost myself in that process because that's not me. That, that mentality before, you know, that situation is not me. I was very faced it. <laughs> I was very faced and very angry because of all that had happened. But I hid all of this stuff from most people. As much as I'm casually like, telling all this stuff to you right now, and I'm absolutely fine with it, that was not what it was like throughout my whole working career. Afterwards, when I was in the paper and stuff, speaking about some of my experiences, I had so many ex-colleagues contact me and be like, what? Like, how on earth were you going through all of that stuff? Nobody knew anything. I just used to completely... What sort of things were, in, what sort of things were, in, were you saying? So that was more, it was like a letter to my younger self in The Guardian was the main one. So that was kind of just talking about, um, yeah, some of the challenges, um, how some of those things have been able to contribute to me being an entrepreneur. Because obviously there's a lot of skills that came through having to hustle and do that stuff by myself that's helped me as an entrepreneur, right? Um, so yeah, a lot of the colleagues would contact me like, 
you know, how the hell were you going through that stuff literally <laughs> as you were working with me? And I'm just like, I didn't tell anybody. A couple of my close friends knew probably because they saw the stuff themselves, but I didn't tell anybody. So, um, yeah, so I internalised it. And basically, um, I was just angry. You know, when I think back to teens, early 20s, I guess you would just say that I was that stereotype of a black girl from not, you know, just hood. And I guess in some ways I am what people would consider a stereotype in that regard. But now you know what it came from. Like that's what it came from. It was a lot of anger, a lot of feeling completely unworthy, like rejected by both parents. I, I thought he was some of that at that point. Um, just like, <clears throat> and that fueled a person who, yeah, it just wasn't fair. I just didn't get the opportunity to become who I was going to become without all of that, if that makes sense. You know, it, it, as much as it's stuff you have to take ownership for um, and of at a certain point in your life because it isn't going anywhere and people aren't going to do it for you, it still isn't fair. So, you know, a lot of who I was and that attitude and that faciness and that savage, like, I was savage back then, you know, no forgiveness. I'm still trying to learn to be forgiving now because once somebody harms me, it just brings it like, you know, I feel it's very personal for me. So, um, yeah, so, so I'm talking about that because obviously being like that, you can imagine that when it came to boyfriends and stuff, I didn't take no nonsense. (laughs) I didn't take any rubbish. The amount of guys that used to try and run me down, I was so feisty back then. I used to have guys on my phone and I was just like, no, I wouldn't give people the time of day or, you know, just that whole, that's what I was like. Um, So then the fact that I ended up with Jaya's dad, (laughs) like the kind of person he is, even looks wise, and it seems really shallow, but he isn't my type at all, right? And my boyfriends were very good looking hood but good looking and that was just who I attracted and who I was attracted to because of my circumstances and who I was and where I lived you know when I was younger and he it just wasn't that but at that point um in life I think I was also as much as I was feisty and and, um a bit cocky at that point I started to try and get a bit deep and be like stop being so shallow with these pretty boys you know they're not doing anything for you right and that's kind of the mentality that I was in that point mixed with that still constant unworthiness right so I think there's something to be said when your parents reject you this you can't really get much deeper than rejection from your parents in terms of your self-worth I don't think people really understand that like if if your parents who are supposed to be, if nobody loves you on this earth, your parents do, right? That's just, it's supposed to be like that. And it's a very natural thing. If they do not, you can't, well, me personally, that completely shattered any idea that I was worthy. Because if my parents like, aren't bothered or aren't interested, and actually quite the opposite a lot of the time, that completely was ingrained into my whole thought process, right? And my whole view of how I saw myself. So even though I was very facey and very stush with these guys, the underlying thing is that when they did get through the barriers and stuff, I was trying to fill the hole, right? I was just trying to fill the hole with these people. 
Um, then I, I was chatting to too many guys at that point. It was, it was so unhealthy and toxic, but I didn't know what was happening. Um, so then when I've met Jay's dad, that is the reason why he got any of my time because of all of that. And then me getting to a point where I'm like, I think I'm trying to not be as shallow. <laughs> but actually, it, it just wasn't anything to do with that, really. You know, it was just, you got, I got to a point where I just wanted to be with somebody um, and I guess use the excuse of not being so picky to just start talking to him. But <laughs> And that is literally, I look at it now because I was just so stuck. So I actually laughed to myself, like how I ended up with him and, and the kind of person that he was more than anything as in addition to the lot <laughs> but it's just it just makes me laugh because I just know a year maybe a year or two even before I met him there's absolutely no way not not only would he not have been able to speak to me right I would never have tolerated or accepted anything he did there's just no way in hell there's just no and that's why a few people that like lost the lost lost touch with me during that period and then came back to see who it was and what he was doing they were just like <laughs> um uh, how, how? A similar story i've got a oh, really? story yeah prior to kane really oh, come on the podcast soon, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i feel you so <sighs> honestly so it was like and what a lesson what a lesson mm. of the person that i feel like in a shallow way but in terms of his personality too and, and what he did and he changed me as well as much as I got myself back in many ways mm. that experience destroyed parts of me that I don't think I'll ever get back um, and I accepted stuff I'd never accepted in my life before right and the fact that I felt like I was not, <laughs> not being as shallow and that I was leaning to literally it's ridiculous like he's the worst worst one of any of my exes and there's been some bad ones so that's how it ended up being so I was lost in the source of she's got to have a family unit and then something switched and that is very common with me is that I might like be lost or fuzzy or roped in by something that maybe pulled on my trauma or whatever but when when my head switches and something that's it there's no coming back from that so then the, the, the switch flipped and then I was like, what the actual hell am I doing? <laughs> what the, what is going on here? And why am I letting this guy know? So that was that, I was that girl, girl, I just raised my kid. I'm doing it by myself anyway. I'm paying for everything myself and I'll just do it myself. Bye. So that was when she was 10 months old. But the unfortunate thing about that was that at the same time is when I found out about my dad. So about two months after. At the same time, I went back to work after maternity leave. <laughs> so this was what a time for all of that be happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so basically, I had like, a, so I kicked him out. And then, then I started like about two months, I started doubting myself, like, no, oh no. And then the family unit thing started coming back. And then the thing with my dad, and then I was like, you know, I had a little bit of a wobble. Thankfully, the wobble didn't last long. But um, the person who ended up being my dad is um, my mum's ex. So I know who he was. And the strange thing is, ever since I was a little girl, 
he'd been in my ear telling me he's my dad from our small, really? right? But in such a weird, inappropriate way, because I was a kid, right? It would just like, because my mum wouldn't speak to him about it. So he used to come try and get through me. But I've got her saying, it's just, is a trouble causer, you know, he's, he's got problems, just ignore what he's saying. But he would never give up. And I'd see him every few years, right? So earlier, when I'm, I'm talking like when I was a young girl, so the person that I thought of my dad was still on the scene at that point. So I'd see him then and he'd tell, he'd tell me that he was my dad when I've still got one as a young girl. So that was just like traumatizing. I ended up like crying. I don't, I don't want to be around him. Like I couldn't stand this guy. I was just like, it freaked me out. So every few years I'd see him. And the last time before we found out that he actually was, I was this face of teenager that I've just been telling you about. Um, living in, I think it, mm, I was staying with somebody. Um, I don't know, something might happen at the hostel. I don't know. But sorry, the supported housing. But basically at that point, I was still in sported accommodation anyway. And he popped up like he always does, because what he does is he, you know, he used well, he used to just pop up at my mum's house every few years. And they were okay, you know, they were civilized, like quite friendly. And the conversation would always end up going to him trying to drop it. And I'd just be like, can you just not? Like it's weird. But he came to me when I was a teenager this time. So it'd been, you know, it'd been about, I don't know, six years, five years um, since the time prior. Yeah, he wasn't ready for trying to come <laughs> trying to come with that talk at that stage of my life. I cussed him. I just cussed him and I just let me out. I was like, you know, if you come and chat to me about this one more time, <laughs> I swear. And I just I just absolutely cussed him and he yeah, he got to know a bit about me. Because obviously he didn't know me. <laughs> but I was ghetto as hell then. You have to understand that I was surviving. Mm-hmm. You know, I was surviving. I was living with drug addicts, so I had the whole all of the stuff that comes with living in certain areas and the rivalry with, rivalry with some girls and like just that whole conditioning of your circumstances and things that are normalised and like your boyfriend's being murdered and all of that stuff, yeah, that's, that's normalised because it becomes just how we grew up. Um, I, was, I went through all of that and then this guy's just come back after a few years and like tried to say, I, yeah, I just wasn't having it. So he didn't like that. <laughs> so then it was a, a good few years. And then the next time I heard from him was when Jaya just, was just born. And he sent me a message on Facebook and said, um, I heard you've had a baby. Apparently he's gone to my mum's like he always does every few years. And just as he's about to leave, you have to understand that she knew this whole time, right? Or at least knew there was a possibility. So just before he's leaving, she's like, I don't know if you saw the picture or she said, here's my granddaughter. And he's like, whose child? And mentioned my brother. She's like, no, Sasha's. And then this, and this guy obviously thinks he's my dad, right? So he's like, <laughs> so Sasha's had a child. So he, in his head, he's thinking, what, nobody's told me. And I'm like, why the hell would anybody be telling you, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he's messaged me on Facebook and he's just said, um, you know, he heard about the baby. Um, 
he wants to take us out for lunch and stuff. And at that point, I was much calmer. <laughs> much calmer, because I was like, what, 25 um, at that point. But I just said to him, if you want to take me out for lunch, you could take all my brothers, my mom, everyone. Just take us all, because I just didn't want to be with him by myself, because I already knew what was coming, right? So I was like, you just take us all out then. And he was like, okay. So we all went for lunch. Um, and then went back to my mom's afterwards. Sure enough, the conversation ended up going there. And at the time, um, Jay was in nursery um, and I'd had some drama with work about they wouldn't let me go back on the hours that I'd asked for, something like that. Yeah, the usual. So there was something to do with me not being able to afford or struggling with Jay's nursery fees at the time. Um, and he just decided to announce... I'll pay for Jay's nursery fees. And I was just like, here we go. I just knew what, I was just like, why would you do that then? <laughs> why would you pay for my daughter's nursery fees? And he's just like, cause I'm in a position to. And I was like, yeah, all right then. So anyway, at the time, and he, but he was, you know, banging on about it. And the, you know, the wildest thing, I called Jay's dad to ask him if he was okay with this guy paying for Jay's nursery. Right. Don't ask me why I felt like I needed to have that level of respect to ask him whether it's okay or not, because he didn't give me nothing. But at that point, he's like, who's this Don? <laughs> Who is this guy asking me? And why does he want to pay for Jay's nursery? And then after that, he was like, yeah, if you want. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, obviously you don't mind somebody paying for Jay's nursery. Um, but anyway, so that, that was that. So I was like, I'll think about it. Because the, the reality is I needed the help at that point. So I was just like... Am I? But accepting help's always been a challenge for me. <clears throat> um, so anyway, he started mentioning a couple of things, and I was just like swerve, swerve. <laughs> Every time I mentioned it, I was just like swerve. And then he messaged me after it might have been the same day or after I'd left the house. Anyway, gone back to mine. Um, still in the council flat at that point, um, but trying to get on the housing list because she started walking and it was tiny. It was only one bedroom. And he was like, oh, I know you don't like talking about this, but would you be willing to get a DNA test to just put this to bed? And I was like, you know what? Yes. Because this guy is, I'm not going to swear, but <laughs> he's peeing me off. <laughs> I was literally at that point. And, I was, and as I said to you, I'd grown a lot at that point and I'd become a mother, obviously. So that's, that's changed me. And I was just bored of this guy just banging on. So was there any I remember going. between you, like, physical resemblance I, no I don't look like anybody and I'm, I'm some people might say otherwise not many people have seen him to know whether we do or not um but so his mum people say that I've got similarities to him and the freckles so she was born in Jamaica but she's got Chinese and Portuguese and all sorts um black of course but um the mix of Chinese and Portuguese so some people say that you know there's there's that there is some kind of resemblance, but not to me. Um, but I don't, I think even if I look the spit of him, I would never want to admit it at that point anyway. <laughs> so no. So personally, I don't feel like it was, it was definitely not a situation where it was undeniable and we don't know how it was, you know, not known this whole time. Definitely not that kind of situation. However, he is red skin. I am much lighter than all of my siblings, apart from one, right? But now it makes sense because he's red skin and my brother's dads are dark. Um, so that's it really. Um, 
so I remember going to my mum's just casually that I'm just gonna give this guy's DNA test you know because he's just doing my head in and that's the first time that I realized there might be some truth to what he's saying because her face just dropped and then she started with all that and I was just like and I looked at my brother we just looked at each other and was like okay but I wasn't I wasn't vexed I wasn't angry I was not angry because I think because I'd done so much and I'd experienced so much and she was when she had me similar age to what I was then right so I had that I guess it's empathy you could call it for what I've done some madness because of my circumstances and because of how I felt so I can't really judge her for that's what that was my thought process at the time I'm not trying to judge her for something that she did at um, uh, you know an age that I've been and I've struggled with or whatever so I wasn't looking for any kind of revenge or anything like that I just wasn't angry about it I just wanted to get this guy from back and at that point when I said I was going to get the test I'd, obviously I didn't think he was anyway so I just like I'm just going to shut him up well obviously it came back that he was um and it is literally it's the way it's just very surreal because you only see it on tv with DNA tests um but yeah it came through on an email if I remember correctly 99.9999 I was like this is long that's all I remember. That this is so long. I can't even stand this guy. He's so annoying. <laughs> I was just like, oh, for God's sake. That was literally my response, for God's sake. <laughs> so it was just like, so then I remember texting my mum and saying, so I've got the results. And she was ignoring me. She didn't want to respond to me. And I just kept messaging her. And then she finally came back, but she just abused me. She just went mad. And I was like, that's, that's when I got angry. I was like, are you actually joking? Are you actually joking? And I just switched. And then we didn't speak for about, at that point, we didn't speak for, it might have been a couple of years, two, three years or something like that. Um, so that, yeah, so that's how I found out. And he ended up being toxic too. So that was like, that's the worst thing, is that, <laughs> so, I ended up, so I had one parent that was toxic. And then the other one was, and then I found out actually it wasn't my dad anyway. But then the next one was. So it's just like, Jesus Christ. But the, the, the good thing is, I've never, I say good, but it has been for me. Fortunately, I've never had that need for a dad. I've never really desired and really had that thing. You know, a lot of people really do feel the whole of their dad not being there. And it just wasn't there for me. So when I found out that Mark wasn't, I was like, okay. And then when I found out he was, I was like, oh, but I was okay. I was literally, it was an, it was an inconvenience. <laughs> and I know it affected me. This is not me saying it didn't affect me. Of course it affected me. And more than I physically realised. Um, but fortunately, not in the way of, oh my goodness, like, you know, that whole bond, fatherhood bond, I, I have never had it. So that protected me a little bit. I just get a sense that we've only really scratched the surface. <laughs> you haven't got enough time in this podcast for, for my life. I'm to fit into one episode what I've been in so far in about like eight or something. And I'm like, oh, there's so many questions. We could just go into this and we could just go into that. But um, what I'm interested to know is like how you used a lot of that pain and resilience and that having to be independent and having to fend for yourself and 
you know, now you've got your daughter, like how do you muster all that you can using all that you've been through to propel you onto your entrepreneurial journey? Everything I do is driven by survival and that's a double-edged sword. It's a good thing because it helps me just crack on because my life has never been easy. Apart from that three-year window that I told you that everything was okay, it's been very difficult. Um, and there's been many times, I don't mind saying that there's been many times I just wish I wasn't here and just thought it would be better if I wasn't here, you know, uh, and how the hell am I supposed to do all this stuff? But that survival mechanism always kicks in. So in that respect, it, it, and that still is here right now, and you know any challenge that I experience now, financial, motherhood, business related, it all stems back to that survival mechanism. So that is what essentially gets me, you know, carrying on and operating as I do, and raising Jay and doing what I do, what you see today. Um, but equally, it's, there's a lot of things about me that I don't like that I that is a result of this trauma. Um, I'm very woke, I guess, in terms of myself these days. Um, and I've been able to revisit a lot of that trauma and look at it now, but there's still a lot of it that affects me so much in who I am now and, and who I've been that I don't feel like I'm going to ever change that it still gets to me, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. fortunately, I'm in a position and I'm at an age now, 35, old, um, <laughs> where I just can't even listen. I, I'm literally at that point now where I'm just like, oh my God. If I go to a rave, I, I am the old woman in the rave. Like, that is so sad that that is so, <laughs> that is so sad. But anyway, yeah, but basically that is... Um, it is the survival mechanism. And I think I know that as much as I can talk about this, and I, I promise you, I'm not acting like I'm casual. This is literally, I don't mind. I am very casual about speaking about this stuff and I'm very disconnected from it. And that's why it's so easy for me to talk to you about it right now. But I know I'm disconnected from it. And I know that the stuff that's happened should have affected me more than it did. But I know it has, if that makes sense. It's like, even just one of the things that we've kind of touched on or that we haven't touched on today would, would might have been enough to break me, you know. But even though it's great that it didn't, I also know that I've been dis disconnected from the trauma in a way because I've been surviving instead that it's damaged me. If, it sounds a bit weird if, if you get what I mean it's it's um even though I'm acknowledging it now and I you know I look back at everything that's happened and I'm, I'm speaking about it I'm not hiding it I'm not hiding from it I'm still disconnected you know and I do think that is literally still that survival mechanism you know even though I, I, I would love to tell you that I've gone to you know revisited that whole experience even with finding out who my dad was and that I've you know cried and been emotional about it and got over no I haven't I haven't you know it was just like the thing that annoys me the most that well not annoys me but the thing that bothered me and hurt me the most about that is that I ended up letting him in to a degree and then him doing me over because I was just like you know that was my thing is that I never let anybody help me 
and I never let anybody in. But again, I was like, Jay should know a granddad. <laughs> That's what it was. I was like, and I literally said to him, like, I don't want a dad. I'll keep it real with you. But you can be a granddad to my daughter. That's what I said to him. And he was like, okay, that's cool. But then he just ended up doing me over. And that's where the star, I think that's another thing is that it's also overlapped. Like my main challenge in life has always been money, debt, financial is my biggest challenge. It still is today, always has been ever since that three year period where I was okay. And he contributed to that massively. And I think the overlap of it as well. That's what I'm more bothered about. That's what I, that's what affects me the most when I think about what he did in his situation, that whole situation with him. When I think about it, the things that I refer back to most is that the financial aspect that he ended up putting me in debt. Not the fact, not the fact that I didn't even know this guy was my dad, you know, a few, a year or whatever before. So yeah it's 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 a very strange place to be so aware and so authentic in yourself as I am you already know I keep it very real like nothing pretentious about what I'm saying or what I do but equally it's a difficult place to be in when you're so disconnected from it you know it's um I am grateful for it in terms of day to day because I can function and get on with stuff when I shouldn't be able to but sometimes when that day comes when I'm overwhelmed or I just like break down or whatever. And it probably is because of all this stuff that I'm just suppressing, right? It probably isn't because of what's happened and what's tipped me over the edge, the actual thing. It probably is just to do with all the stuff that I've been suppressing. But I'll be real with you. Who cares when you've got to raise a daughter by yourself? Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It, obviously it matters. It, but at the end of the day, nobody thinks, oh, Sasha's got, you know, been through that or she's going through that. And then change is what I've got to do. Yeah. Nobody does that. Do you get what I'm saying? It, it's, I've still got to raise this 10-year-old by myself. I've still got to try and navigate me having meltdowns around the 10-year-old. Like, so it who, doesn't matter. Who's, who's supporting you? Nobody. And it, it's, it's, that is the thing for me is that I think it's one of those situations where... I, I think I think you can get through most things if you've got people yeah and um, it's everybody's got different challenges and some are very hard you know you know you've been through stuff that I couldn't get through and vice versa but when you've got people with you you can get through it and I think that's been the thing with me is that the people that I'm supposed to have with me have been the ones causing most of it and it's a very difficult thing to live with. And also not a difficult thing to live with. It's shaped my personality. And those bits about myself that I've told you that I'm not too keen on, that I feel like a deep rooted, as much as I can, you know, improve myself. And I always will. There's certain things that I just think are me now. Um, and it is that situation where it's nice having Jay at this age, actually, because we just have girly days sometimes. And without knowing it, she is... The support in some ways but a lot of the time I need the support from the motherhood because I need to go and just fall apart by myself and be myself you know um she's not seen her dad now for it's coming up to three years in August yeah so there's there's navigating her through that and me through that because he was 
it hardly did anything when he was about, but then for him to be completely gone for three years um, is, is made some difference. And then I don't have a relationship with any of my parents. She's a little how bit. Do you, how does that impact how you parent Jaya then when you've already experienced rejection and then how does that impact like the narrative of what's going on with her dad? How, how do you sort of address that with her? It's, it's, I'm very real with Jaya now. I protected her for a long time and she had no idea what her dad was like for until this three year situation. Cause he basically, without going into another drama, basically something happened where mainly for safety purposes and just so she had a certain awareness, I had to break some stuff down to her um, and get a bit real without being the mom that slags off the dad. Because I didn't definitely didn't want to be that. Um, I had to tell her some truths, and she couldn't believe it. And she was at, of an age where she understood that means he's a bad person. Then, from her own perception of those decisions, equate to mm-hmm. no, you know. Yeah, rather um, than you actually saying he's bad. Yeah, I didn't, Look, this is the circumstances. Yes, I was very much. I was very focused on making sure I did not influence her decisions or perceptions I just told her facts I just told her this is what's happened this is what's been happening and then she was like so then she came to herself the the challenge has been so then she starts asking questions about where my dad is because she's like all of a sudden she's realized (laughs) hang on my mom obviously has to have a dad where is he who is he like so then sometimes she starts to ask certain questions, you know, over those few years, which I've had to have a little bit of conversation with her. Um, and then I think that the most difficult thing has been being the mom that I am. I'm very strict, right? But I'm very loving. And, you know, in terms of her development and her identity and everything, I am so proactive like she is so purposeful everything I do is very intentional as a mom in 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 all regards and that's just come from me doing the absolute opposite of what I had and saw but being the mom that I am and not having a relationship with my mom she was like what's going on here <laughs> you know like hang on a minute and and also the respect aspect I'm telling her that she, I'm your mom and you absolutely need to respect me. And, you know, I mothers are, you know, the great beings and they are the, the person that's there for you in the world. But hang on, mom. <laughs> you know, the chat to yours is like, you know, she didn't say that, but that it was that that popped in her head. Like, oh, actually, you know, she doesn't talk to Nana or, you know, whatever. Um, so that's been the, the difficult thing. And that's where I have had to get, I either get real with her or let her see certain things, now it's easier because she, I have to say a damn thing. She will just see stuff herself and she will just either comment on it herself or she'll just be like, yeah, I'm not feeling that, right? Um, and I'm, or because of this whole family unit thing, she just speak to them. Like she goes to Anana's, if I take her, so I have to take, they live in Knotts, obviously I'm in um, Manchester now. But if I take her there, she will spend some time there. Um, you know, she speaks to them now and again. 
said that she has a relationship with them and I've got four brothers so you know she's got her uncles they don't make a lot of effort with her but she makes effort because she wants to have connections to people um but obviously she now she sees certain things and she hears how her nana speaks either about her kids or in general life and she's not feeling it <laughs> you know her own now her own views of the world and um what even just down to work ethic you know she has got her own opinions now and she's starting to voice them so it's easier now you know navigating through that because actually it's more me just having a chat with her. she wants to express something it is literally just me keeping it real and letting her say what she you know what what her view is um but in terms of the support i think i've ended up having to do what i never wanted to do and just let her know sometimes when i'm struggling and that's something I didn't really want to do, but actually I don't feel like protecting them all the time and acting like everything's okay is the best way. I just don't. I think if if you can do that and it's healthy for everybody, that's fine. But if there's certain times where they're old enough and they need to know certain things, then you, I'm letting them know because it, that's, that's what it has to be. Um, and, you know, she has, as much as she's the sweetest child, um, she's never known struggle, you know, she, ne- she, the house that we, she grew up in was the house that I ended up buying, which was the four bedroom house. So she's had to be humbled a couple of times when we've moved around a lot since then, when I sold the house, you know, um, and I remember lo- her looking at the houses when we were looking for places to rent, when I was going to sell the house, she'd look and she's like, it's only got one bathroom. I'm like, you are crazy. Yeah, I got a clue. <laughs> but she's you know she's been super resilient um but yeah in answer to your question it is just keeping it real with her um but I do feel I've just been robbed of the mum that I could have been I did a post about this the other day and I had so many messages like oh my god like people started crying when they read it because it hit so deep and it is literally because of my parents and because of my experience I've been robbed of the the mum that I could have been even though I am a very good mum and I've been very intentional in terms of my parenting I am still not the mum that I would have been if I had support and if I had loving parents that's just facts so that's just the reality of it and it's um you just as I said to you before you you've kind of you can think about it but there's nothing that can be done about that um so yeah I, all I do is I guess it's overcompensating in some ways because I know what she hasn't got and what I didn't have and the fact that she is she would love to have two parents she's you know she definitely feels the whole she's got a hole in terms of her dad and I know it's there and we have chats sometimes but she's got you know she, attachment um, she displays some attachment stuff and she can be quite needy sometimes and that all stems from that so I, I'm fully aware of that um but it is what it is you know is I can't control the kind of parent that somebody else is to my daughter unfortunately that's just exactly how it is and I also can't um enable certain behaviors and a lack of regard and love for her just so she has a dad I think that message is very dangerous too so, you know, I'm just very, I guess because of my experiences, I'm very aware and very conscious of any decisions that I make um, in parenting for sure. Do you have any sort of 
practices that you do together or anything in terms of like yeah helping to keep yourselves mindful or things that you do together to de-stress anything like that yeah we do meditation and stuff sometimes but I'll be honest with you I don't spend as much quality time with Jaya as I I don't know if should's the right word but as I would like and the main reason for that is because I'm always on survival mode. I'm very scared of not working. I'm very scared of not working because of the money situation. It's always in me. Like I'm always, I had to have forced myself to have a break from Instagram and from work the other, the other month. One, because I was burnt out. But two, I literally sat there like mum guilt crying. And I was like, you know what, right? You sat here bawling because... You, you know, you, every time you speak to her, obviously we have like an hour or something when she comes back from school, bits and bobs where we're having conversation, we're having dinner, whatever. But around that, majority of the time, I am working, right? And it's just that whole, because I'm scared not to, and who the hell else is going to do it? Literally that. Um, so we kind of, the things that we do is that we'll go and get in the car and we'll have a music vibe. That's that's something that's easy to do and that is like quite instrumental in our relationship. She's very similar to me in many respects and she loves music and she loves old school music and she loves like new music too, right? So we've got that in common. So we'll just go and drive, whether it's down to Trafford Centre or along, you know, somewhere further. And we'll vibe in the car. So that's something that we do. Meditation sometimes. Um, she she launched her own products and stuff. So there are, you know, a few different things that, yeah, that we do. Um, but it's something that I'm working on in terms of dedicated quality time, um, especially outside. That we're trying to go on walks and stuff like that. But it's, it's hard for me, you know. It's actually hard for me. It's, it's not nothing to do with her. It's purely because I'm scared, like it's fear and survival. It just keeps roping me in. Like, I just feel like I need to be doing stuff all the time. So, yeah, that's, um, <laughs> yeah. That's... How do you even find like the time to be, because I see you, you know, your new, your new businesses that you set up and I'm like, this woman is doing all of this by herself <laughs> with a daughter who she's also showing how to be entrepreneurial and, like, how do you even find the space in your brain for creativity when you've got so much going on? It's the opposite. My brain is filled with the creativity and the rest is secondary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's probably a lot of me making sure it's that way or my, or my, I don't know, my subconscious making sure it's that way. But even the new businesses, I have... And it is a blessing, I can't, you know, it is a blessing that I'm blessed with. I'm very innovative, have ideas constantly, constantly. I've always got ideas. Um, But it's also very draining. But every time I have a business idea, don't get it twisted. A lot of it is that survival. Like I've got to, oh my God, I need multiple streams of income or at least a chance to have multiple streams of income because like we could be homeless. And, and that's not a lot of it is not unfounded like I had to sell the house and then I live with my friend for about three months like who the hell wants to have to do that you know in your 30s having to live with your friend fortunately my friend was completely okay with us doing that 
but who, nobody wants to do that and i definitely didn't want to show that to jaya so um you know so it's it's that fuels everything it's that the homelessness the fit like the struggle and survival all of it the money the financial stuff it just drives everything it literally dictates like everything i do even down to the businesses so when i decide at the moment i've got like four brands and even that like, this week i'm trying to um start securing an investor because i just want to level up and i know i haven't got the skill set to do it and I, and i also i'm a black businesswoman so it's not designed for me to be able to take my brands to the level that they should be right so um even that like this week i'm like you need to start scaling one of them back because how like how are you going to do it all and i can't do it all and that that's the reality of it i do a lot but i can't do it all but again it's still coming from that whole i need four brands so that if one of the brands is not bringing any money in then i might have some from the others and that is literally that's what drives it most of the time of course it's still you know business ideas and acting on those and definitely if it fills a need for people that will help people i just want to pursue it but the foundations if i'm keeping it completely real is always to do with that survival um and just trying to figure out ways and hustle it is the hustle it is literally the hustle of trying to find ways to make sure we're okay and i speak about trying to go from survival to thriving all the time but even though that is the goal it often feels um outside of my reach so that is why i'm literally it, sorry it's actually unhealthy in terms of all the stuff i do you know it is i don't ever go and preach about everybody should do that um and actually i was uh, a guest speaker on something not long ago where i was saying the amount of work i do is unhealthy um but as i said to you earlier who's going to do it for me you know it's that situation like where you'd, you i'm literally doing it because there isn't an alternative so yeah it's um there's always like um pros and cons to every situation like it's obviously there's a lot of benefits to be able, even just being able to launch for brands you know and having the skill set on minimal resources and having you know the commercial acumen that I've been able to develop from working so young um to do it but of course that's offset by that I'm a workaholic <laughs> and that I work far too much then it's healthy do you ever find time for reading are you into books i am into books and i've that is something that i've been trying to really get back on because it it it's got um double benefits it gets me reading and it stops me working for a bit <laughs> so um the first lockdown i bought about five books and I've only just started reading them. I think I read one, but I have yeah, I'm getting better. I'm getting better because Yes, yeah, sorry. Um yeah, I was just going to say I'm getting better at the reading because when I start reading a book and I enjoy it, I get that feeling back because I I've loved reading from a young age. Um so yeah, so then it helps me. Do you ever um try audiobooks because I find that because I'm trying to find the time where you can just sit and read 
undisrupted is um is one thing isn't it so i do try and listen to audio yeah. as well but then i find like my mind starts wondering and then i have to rewind the book because i'm like yeah, missing bits exactly. right. <laughs> yeah I, i've well the one audio book that worked for me was a carlas right so i had the book but every time i picked the book up i got distracted or i got pulling something but i really wanted to read it so i was like you know what I'm going to do the audiobook. And in that instance, it worked really well. And actually, I felt it was better because I did read about half the book, but just hearing him speak the words was much more powerful, resonating much more. However, I tried to go in before that. Um, I tried one before. I think it was Drink and Grow Rich, something like that. Oh my God. I was listening to it. I was like, oh. This is voice. I was like, no, I can't. I can't do this. No. So uh, <laughs> for me, I think, yeah, audio was a good, like, when you say, when you're trying to, like, force it and, you know, you're making it a bit more uh, realistic and doable. But I don't, I don't, I think you should be reading a book. I feel like reading should be a book. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel like we're supposed to be reading the whole No, and also a lot of us are supposed to be coming away from technology we a lot of us need to get away from the technology and read the damn book <laughs> so doing the audio book is kind of like counterproductive right so but no reading it does help um and actually jaya is obsessed with reading which also helps because she's got her time where she's reading which means sometimes i have a little bit of time not to necessarily have time to myself but you know i don't feel guilty that i'm not doing something with her or engaging when she's lost in a book so yes books books are the way <laughs> Have you got any favourite books or any books that have like made a significant impact that spring to mind? That Akala book, Natives, was huge. I think it's... Um, it, I've also got Black and British and I got Jay the Child's version, which we kind of read most of it together, but it's so hard to read books about racism in these times. It's like, I can't, I literally can't read them right now because I'm already like destroyed from what's actually happening right now and drained, exhausted beyond belief to then go and read a book about the same. Yeah. Mm. So it's, um, which is unfortunate because a lot of those books is what I want to be reading. Um, but the Akala one, I, I loved it. I think, um, yeah, it, it was just one of those important books where I feel like you've got to read it. Mallory Blackman was my favourite author when I was growing up. Um, so I bought a few of those for Jaya to read. Just having a black author, I think that she's the one that stuck with me when I was younger because I don't think I ever saw a black author other than her. Um, but yeah, in terms of like books that I love, I don't do it enough these days to tell you that there's, you know, that there's um, books that I love. I read... Um, I'm not your baby mother recently. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, it was an interesting read. I enjoyed it. I think it was, it's for those where I didn't agree with everything that was in there, but it didn't matter because there were some bits that resonated. It was British. So, you know, you could kind of get a feel for it. And that was a good book and that didn't take me too long to read. Uh, even read that in the bath sometimes. That's why, you know, it's getting deep when you start reading books in the bath. <laughs> instead of being on your phone or instead of actually just, you know, sitting there and chilling. So, yeah, but no, reading for sure is something that I'm trying to lean into 
more to start me working. <laughs> and start reading a space, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, anything that you've got going on that you want to plug or shout out? God, like, so what haven't I got going on? Um, yeah, I think so. One of the brands, the Curly Bride Company, um, we've got some style shoots coming up. Um, one of them I'm trying to do, and I say trying because it's not as easy as it should be. I'm trying to do a 100% black-owned shoot. So everything, all the models, all the vendors, all the venues, every aspect in the so style shoot is a photo shoot where you've got like um, the dress up with brides and stuff. Um, I'm trying to do a 100% black-owned one, and it's called A Black Love Story. But I'm basically doing it in a way of, it's a modest like for us it's it's outside the yard food shop it's going to the hair shop it's the salon but this guy sees her and knows she's the wife to be already but it's in our settings and I've not seen that before and I was like this is yeah this is going to be really special but I want every single thing black love but black love even behind the scenes so right now I'm just trying to get the rest of the vendors together for that um i've finalized the female lead model today still looking for the male one but yeah that i'm very excited about that and then i've got two other shoots that i'm trying to do um for that and just just that whole space in representation in the wedding industry like most places is scarce um but because it's high end as well I've literally, again, we haven't got time for all these conversations, but I'm trying to not be the face of this brand because it will hurt the brand. And that's, I'll be honest with you, that's facts. Because of the, where I want the brand to be and the kind of brand I want it to be, very opulent, very high-end, people will judge it based on me. So I've got to take, like, I'm, I've tried to be, I try, I've tried to be invisible with it, but because I can't afford to hire people yet, I've not been able to do that. I've had to get involved. But mark my words, um, as unfortunate as it is, as soon as I'm able to, I am not, I'm going to be completely behind the scenes with that brand because it's it's one of those brands where um, they just won't see it as high-end or accept it as high-end or pay the money for the products that's deserving if they know that I own it. That's that makes me really sad. <laughs> it's, it's sad, but... Again, it's it's facts. It, it, it literally, you know, it, it is so true. I've had similar experiences, even with Happy Hair, when, when people realised that I was the brand owner of, of one that had, you know, um, like global customer base or a certain celebrity had referenced. Then they realised it's me that owns it. And they're just like, oh, I'm just like, okay, that's cool with this one. But with that one, I've realised, unfortunately, the sad truth but it is the truth is that I will have to be more behind the scenes. It's already, it's already impacted it a little bit. Um, people realizing that I own the Curly Bride company because when I created the Instagram for it, and I don't know if I reshared it on Happy Hair, but I didn't say it, it was mine. And a load of people like went for it and I got like loads of emails and stuff. And since then, a few people have realised it's mine and the perception's different. So, yeah, it just needs to be, they just don't want to pay that money for when it's a brand that belongs to somebody like me. That You get what I'm saying? It's just, um, 
that's just what it is. I think they only associate that with, with rich white people. And they think that they started that way. Well, some of them did, but they feel like, you know, these Vogue's and everything started as Vogue, as these huge brands. And no, some of them did because they had the money from the start. But these brands were unknown at one point, but people don't look at it like that. And they're not used to seeing people that look like us owning brands like that and having products that cost that amount. And I'm not, it's not wild money, but just for example, like we've got a, Afrocomb, which is that handcrafted, it's resin, it's got real botanicals in there. It's a really de- decorative piece. We've got um, crystals and pearls on some of them. And it's so funny, like when people first saw it, they were going mad over it. And then I just knew, I was thinking, when you see the price of these, because I don't know what price they thought, but I already knew when they saw the price that they were going to be a was going to go there. They're like, it's between 20 and 30 pounds. But it's a decorative piece, like for me, it's not wild, but obviously, if you're in the mindset of this is who's selling it and it's an afro comb for black people, already people are like, This is what I'm going to pay for it, <laughs> right? And that's just, yeah, that's so sad because yeah. I, I think about when I got married and like how I would have loved for your company to have, have existed then, and mm-hmm. like the prices that people are paying in the wedding market are crazy prices anyway exactly. so it, exactly. it doesn't matter because there is that attention to detail and um you know everybody wants that sort of luxurious feeling for their wedding so things aren't scrimped on so why should no, people exactly. be looking at it any differently you know because they wouldn't think exactly. twice if it was um a middle class white no. person that was selling the product would they and they don't <laughs> you know the people that get married know it's a very expensive thing to do and everything costs a lot of money and you don't think twice about that if it's a mainstream or white-owned business. You, people just don't think twice. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it is what it is. And, and I'm navigating through it as, in the ways that I can um, in these stages. Even now, when I'm putting out the calls for, you know, the, the shoots and the vendors, it is collaboration, but it's like products and service swap. And I've seen lots of people do free work for these white-owned brands and everything else. Um, and whilst we've got the responses, you know, we've got most of the vendors, I, I should be like inundated, like not, not be able to open my inbox. Who do you see asking for a hundred percent black owned, like luxury style shoot for the wedding industry? No one, mm. nobody. Right. So, but it's just, it's, it's the mindset. We've all been conditioned, um, in many ways, but I will, I'll work with the people that can get the job done, whether they're popular or not. So for me, it doesn't matter. Um, and we'll get the pictures. And then what will happen is people will see the pictures and be like, oh my God, like the first one, that street that we did, right? So yeah, it is what it is. But I am definitely trying to get to a point where I can stand back from that brand. Because again, when I think about that one, that's the high-end brand that could act as the second income stream. And then when it's quiet with Happy Hair, for example, which it has been throughout, you know, this madness of what's been happening um, the past year or so, um, then we've got that to fall back on because that's what I was talking about in terms of having off. And it is true. I do need to have more than one income stream, but it is that whole, like, if Happy Hair goes quiet, I've got my tax credit and that's it. My tax credits is like whatever it is, four or five hundred pounds. I don't even really see that. That doesn't even cover my bills. So, um, 
yeah so it's about respect you is just like there's so many people out there that and and this is the thing with social media it's it's like for many people it's a highlight reel and i feel like yeah i know I'm sort of frustrated even with this podcast because I don't feel like I've done justice to you and your story and the breadth of it. (laughs) No, but it's true. Like, there's so much to you. I feel emotional. Oh, Oh, don't get me. Oh, my God, I can't cry at the school run. (laughs) No, but seriously, but, like, as a a mother and, like, I just, you know, I've seen you working hard, grinding, doing the best for your girl. And I just, I've got so much love and respect for you and for your authenticity. And there's a lot of things that I resonate with in your story. And I just want nothing but the best for you and for your daughter and for all of your businesses. And maybe we can do like a part two where we can get into the businesses a bit more because your life story is so incredible. I wanted to give time for that, but I also want you know, your, your businesses to breathe as well because there's so much stuff we haven't even touched on. So um, yeah. let's, let's do it again if we can. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah for sure. No, I really, honestly, I appreciate you. I think it's um, just one of those things that I said to you who I've been for a long time and how I'm received as a person. And, you know, when, when I come across people like you and actually, most of the time it's strange that I've never met or sometimes it's people that I've not even spoken to and they'll just reach out to me they've obviously been watching me and they'll just say things that it even takes me a while to hear what they're saying because it's the opposite of what I'm used to but then it's just like it makes it you know you just what you've just said it's just for me it's just like like okay it's just a little nod to me because I'm not, I'm not, I hope that I haven't given the perception that it's been easy for me. As much as I get this done, it isn't easy. And I think um, it is just that I do touch a lot of women, you know, a lot of women and parents. And I think, um, I feel like that's one of my callings. And that's why I share stuff so much as well, is that when I did that article for The Guardian, I had hundreds of messages, some from America, madness, like just, whoa you know your story resonated with me so much and the the business that I was doing at that time was around um flexible working for parents so obviously there was people across the board that were saying I'm struggling to you know get a job but I think though that's why I share stuff as as authentically as I do one because it's natural to me now but two it's just not enough of it it's just just not enough of it and um I am often I'm not the most palatable person (laughs) I'm not that, you know, your typical person that everybody's drawn to. Um, but I will always keep it real. And there will always be people that benefit from that. And I've, I've just had to accept, before I wanted to be a certain type of person, that really likeable, bubbly, happy person all the time. And I've had to accept that will never be me. I can improve myself, but that that will never be me. It's not who I am. It's not who I've been shaped to be, unfortunately. But there is a lot of value in like who I am, what I can share. So yeah, honestly, thank you. Even just for you expressing that to me now, trust me, it, it to hear it, it never gets old because um, I do get lost in the mix of just day to day, you know? Um, but yeah, for sure. I, <laughs> I always say to people, I don't know how much detail you want me to go in because I've had a, a lot of experience. <laughs> 
<laughs> there's a lot of stuff that's happened in my lifetime but um yeah for sure we need to cover some business stuff maybe some hair stuff too <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 we'll definitely do it again definitely because I was like even as we were going through it I was like oh I need to speak more on that but where, where can people find you on the socials let's which one do we go for okay so um at the happy hair coat <laughs> at the happy hair coat is the main brand so the happy hair company is the main brand at the curly bride co for the curly bride company at jamaica candles is the jamaican center candles but um we're taking a break from that at the moment because i want to rebrand that's that's got huge potential that, oh, I love that. Those candles that i I see them in shops like this is the first of its kind. And this is one of those situations where I get a bit sad because I know if it wasn't me, that could be in shops right now, like a huge deal in the papers and stuff. And that's where I'm like, no, you know what? I'm going to get an investor for this because this is such a unique like idea. Um, so yeah, that, that's the Jamaican, Jamaica Handles page, which you can still follow, but it's, it's a bit um, vacant at the moment. Similar to DSJ. So DSJ is around... That's at Diaz XJ is around wellness and self-care for men and just candles for men and beard care as well. But I just feel like, I don't know why candles seem like this feminine thing. It's, it's the weirdest thing that like there's so many benefits to burning a candle and being still and just chilling or whatever. There's just so many benefits to a candle and it sounds cheesy as hell. Like I'm plugging the, but I, I don't care if it's mine or not having a candle and that sensory experience of having something that you really enjoy the smell of in a moment where you're trying to achieve something that benefits yourself men absolutely need that you know like I just don't know why it's become something that as women we've realized it actually really helps with that whole process but men don't burn candles it's wild but then Drake's dropping a candle line so watch this will change soon um, oh yes he's dropping a candle line he's rich so he knows about the benefits candles <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's where you can find us. Um, and then the happyhairco.com website. But if you go to the Instagram, you'll see all the website links. Um, most everything's under the Happy Hair Limited umbrella. So even though it's all different brands at the moment, it's under the one limited company. Um, so most of the stuff, the Curly Bride Company has its own website and the Happy Hair Co has its own website, but the rest of the stuff are on the on the main one. Wicked. Well, thank you so much for just sharing your experience and just yeah for giving us your time and i look forward to catching up again on a business tip a little bit more so so i hope you enjoyed that episode if you did do me a favor share it with somebody who has been going through a hard time and maybe they've got goals but they can't see a way forward share this episode with them and and let them know what's possible when you put your mind to it. There's somebody out there that needs to hear Sasha's story. So share it with a friend, tell a friend, share it on your socials, tag us in, let us know that you are sharing that love because this is how this podcast is going to grow. If you enjoyed it, you can also go ahead if you're an Apple user and give us a little five star review and a little bit of feedback because it's always good to hear what you guys are enjoying about the show. You can come and find me over at the Curl Squad and join in the ongoing conversation. Have a good week until next time, girlfriend. Big love. Peace. Peace.